2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 8 and 9, and I want to say a word of prayer as we go to God's Word. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is a firm foundation for us to stand upon. And God, I ask you that, that you give us a spirit of humility to surrender ourselves under your word and the authority of it, the truth that is in it, that we may have confidence in it, that we can live according to it and be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. There's a lot of text. It's two chapters that we've got to cover this morning. Uh, so we're going to be jumping around those two chapters quite a bit. I'm going to dispense with the normal reading through it because it's a lot and I've got a lot to cover. Uh, I'm going to make sure that it's up on the screen for you so that it will be there as we, as we move through the, the text. Um, today uh, we're going to look at something that is somewhat controversial for many, many believers. We're going to look at the teaching and the practice of the tithe, tithing. And I will admit to you that a week ago uh, when I looked at teaching this or preaching this. I've been planning this for a long time, but up as recently as a week ago, I had one perspective. And then when I started digging deep into this, um, I've got a new one. And the word has a way of doing that. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me uh, in love. Um, You may hear something you don't quite expect. I have two main goals today. Number one, I want to try to lift the burden of condemnation that many people associate with tithing and how tithing is typically taught. And then number two, I want to spur you on to even more generosity, better generosity, in joyful giving than what we see in tithing, than what the tithe allows for. So you're going to hear me say some things this morning that may sound like they are contradictory, but they are not. And uh, if you'll hang in there with me, I hope that by the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit, we will all be on the same page when we leave here today. Wouldn't that be a miracle? There is a widespread debate on the teaching of tithing. The question arises, is it a New Testament, New Covenant commandment? Meaning that it's a, a commandment after the cross? Should churches be teaching tithing? Didn't tithing go away with the new covenant and the law? And as for many of you, I imagine that some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, that's a no-brainer. But before you dismiss the controversy, I want you to consider that there are very compelling arguments, very compelling Bible-based arguments that support the idea that tithing is, in fact, not a new covenant doctrine. It is, in fact, not even a Christian doctrine. Whoa. Bear with me. Don't tune me out just yet. The fact is that there is only one time in the Bible where tithing was an absolute requirement. And that was during the the 1,500 or so years before Jesus came, while Israel was under the law. Before that, it was a, a bigger picture kind of thing. Before the law, it was an honoring God with one substance. That was the big picture. 
Honoring someone occurs when someone freely gives and voluntarily gives something to someone else as a means of sacrificial thanksgiving or a gesture of appreciation. So the question is, is God worthy to be highly esteemed for what He has done and what He still does in our lives? Is it right that we should specially honor Him for it? And if you'll study the word honor, the English translated word honor in Scripture, you'll see that it almost always applies to the giving of substance. Is it right that we should honor God for what He has done, specially honor Him for what He has done? If it was this way before the law, if that was the big picture before the law came, and before we had the covenant of grace, how much more should God be esteemed under the new covenant where we have been given all things in Jesus Christ? I'll point you to Hebrews chapter 8 for that one. Even during the law, where a specific form of tithing was required, it was only for some of the people. There was never a universal tenth that was required from everybody. In addition, even during that time, the tithe was instituted at the beginning of Israel's second year in the wilderness. God preferred free will offerings. Read the text. Study all this out for yourself, starting in Exodus chapter 35. Giving to God is about honoring Him for the great things He has done in our lives. It has always been that way, even under the law. So I'm going to say this, and it may rattle some cages, but stay with me, please. We are not required, we are not required to tithe under the new covenant. But show me the scripture that says that we can stop honoring God under the new covenant. You won't find one. So to be humbly honest, there is ample reason for serious debate over whether the concept of the tithe should even be taught. Or whether it is even a Christian, meaning a new covenant after the cross doctrine. We, should, uh, we could spend hours, and, and let me tell you, I have spent hours going through the text, going through uh, every reference I could find to the tithe and tracing it back in its context to see who the text was written for and what the text specifically applied to. I just don't have time for that this morning. And this is why you need to be good disciples of Jesus Christ. You need to be good Bereans. And you need to go search this out and study it out for yourselves. I'm going to give you some pointers. But you need to look and make sure that I'm not just lying to you. I'm not. But, you know, you need to be good good stewards of the truth. I don't want to offer you. I do want to offer you two practical reasons. I mean, there are many theological reasons, many scriptural reasons. I want to offer you some practical reasons just to get you thinking for why the Old Testament law of tithing is inferior and is superseded by Christian generosity in the New Covenant. Just a couple of reasons why we should look beyond the tithe of the Old Testament and forward to the the freely giving life of the redeemed believer in Jesus Christ. We have to consider the definitions. What is a tithe? By definition, a tithe is 10%, right? It is one-tenth. If you have 10 cows, then guess what? One of them belongs to the Lord. That is a tithe. If you have 100 eggs, then 10 of those eggs belong to the Lord. That is a tithe. So a tithe is 10%, one-tenth. That's the definition of a tithe. So just want to throw this out there. You can't say, I'm going to give my tithes if you have not given 10%. 
you give 20% or 15 per, no, excuse me, if you give lower, you have 5%, that's not a tithe. By definition, definition tithe is 10%, and that's where the problem lies. Tithe being 10%. Well, that's a, a restriction of the law. A 10% restriction. In fact, it's a bondage of the law. Under the Old Testament law of the tithe, you are bound to a 10% uh, payment, 10% gift to the Lord. The very poor, whose crops barely produced, who maybe they sowed the best seed, but their crops caught the blight and, and failed, and they had very little harvest. Guess what? I mean, they couldn't put food on the table, but guess what? The law required 10%. The very prosperous person down the road across the hill whose crops produced abundantly, who had more than enough to go around, not only for his family, but for the families around him, guess what? His requirement was 10%. I mean, yeah, the the quantity is certainly less for the person who has less, right? 10% of of a little is smaller than 10% of much, but the financial and practical impact is much more. Think about it. If I, if I make $10 this week, and that's all I got is $10, and I have to give a dollar of it to the church because the law and the doctrine of the church compel me to do so because that is my tithe, that is my, my tenth, and if I don't do it, then I'm not a faithful Christian. So I give my dollar, and now all I have to make it on the rest of the week is nine bucks. But this guy over here, Tommy, he's doing a lot better than I am. He made a hundred bucks this week. So he gives his tithe, his tenth, and he's still got $90 left. So he can go a lot further. He can live a lot longer on his 90% than I can live on my 90%, right? He can go a lot further on his 90 bucks than I can go on my $9. The problem is that we've got preachers all over the country, all over the world, who are preaching the tithe as a New Testament commandment. It's the price of entry for good Christian stewardship. Meanwhile, those same preachers, those same pastors, they've got widows and poor in their congregation who are barely making ends meet. They can barely rub two nickels together, but those preachers are insisting that if they don't pay their tithes, their 10%, they're asking God to curse their lives. And they point back to the Old Testament text to show that. And you look at some of these these mega church pastors who have those same poor people in their churches, those same widows who can barely rub two nickels together. And those preachers are driving around in Bentleys and they're flying around on private jets, bragging about being part of the billion-dollar flow club. That's sickening. It's sickening. Church, there is a, a better way. Paul told us in Hebrews, and yet I show you a better way. So the reason number one why the Old Testament tithe is inferior is that it is burdensome to the poor. Jesus said, "My yoke is easy, and my my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." And when the poor face the very hard decision and the very real decision of, you know, do I do I pay my water bill? Do I do I, do I get my insulin? Do I pay my light bill? Or do I pay my obligation to the church? It very quickly becomes a condemnation burden to the poor. And as Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Amen. Reason number two is the flip side of that. 
The tithe is restrictive to the wealthy, to the prosperous. And believe it or not, it actually kills Christian generosity. Yes, it kills Christian generosity. I said that right. You heard me. The Old Testament law of tithing leads the prosperous person to actually give less than he could or less than he should. So I want to move on. I've got, to, I've got a lot of ground to cover. I just, I just want to spend a couple of minutes to try to expose the, the weakness, some of the weakness of the law of the tenth, the tithe. Because it is truly inferior to what we see in the New Covenant Christian generosity, what New Covenant Christian giving looks like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul gives us nine principles. There are more, but I can only fit nine in the time that I have. Nine principles for New Covenant Christian generosity. This is the superior way. In every way, it is superior to the Old Testament tithe, the Old Covenant tithe. Just as the New Covenant itself is superior to the Old Covenant in every way, uh, grace-driven, joy-fueled Christian generosity is superior to the tithe in every way. I'm just going to give you a brief overview of the whole passage of verse chapters, nine, chapters 8 and 9. I don't have time to read it all, but I'm going to be going in and pointing out some sticking points, and I encourage you to go read these for yourselves. In these two chapters, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. He's trying to set some things in order, trying to give them some instructions. This is his second letter to them. Uh, and he's, he's teaching them about the work of grace and how it moves the Christian to freely and generously and sacrificially give in these two chapters. He uses the church at Macedonia as an example where he says in, in verse 2 of chapter 8 that in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And he commends them for their joyful willingness in this work of grace. And he holds them up as an example to the church at Corinth, uh, as a, an example to let this work of grace be completed in you also, so that you may prove your love and your faith. Look at them as the example. Let that work be completed in you. And in chapter 9, verse 7, this is where we see Paul tell the church that every person should give sincerely and freely, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but because God loves a cheerful giver. So I'm, I'm going to move through these quickly, and I, I'm sorry for the pace. If you want my notes, I'll gladly share them with you. Um, this is what we have learned from Paul in this, these two chapters about the new covenant giving. In chapter 8, verse 5, Paul says, first and foremost, the first thing we need to learn is that we must give ourselves to God first. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Church, if you're not a child of God, then it doesn't matter how much you give. No manner, no, no amount of financial giving will help you. There is no such thing as Christian generosity if you're not first a Christian. Listen, even the heathen can tithe. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but tithing was widely practiced among heathen religions. This wasn't a uniquely Hebrew or uniquely God thing. It was widely practiced. The pagan people, they brought their tithes to their gods. Even the unregenerate can be a law keeper. When Jesus did speak about the tithe, he talked about meticulous tithers. What did he do? He actually condemned them for tithing mint and spices, but forgetting the weightier matters. 
First and foremost, you must give yourselves to God, your whole self. Not part of yourself, not a tithe of yourself, your whole being. It must be surrendered to God. No amount of money, no amount of giving to others, no amount of charitable work will save you. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you do all these things, if you give all your worldly possessions, and even if you sacrifice yourself for the good of others, but you don't have the love of Christ, then you haven't done, you haven't accomplished anything. If you haven't surrendered yourself fully to Him, you've not accomplished anything. Number two, second principle. From this same verse, we notice that you must give yourselves to knowing the will of God. Give according to the will of God. How has God called you to give? In what ways? To whom? The Macedonians gave themselves first to God, then by the will of God they directed their giving to others. They could not and probably would not have done that had they not sought the will of God. Church, you don't, you don't need to have the, have the sky open up. You don't need an audible voice from heaven to say, go and do this. You need to look into the scripture and look to the word of God. You need to search and study the scriptures. It's unfortunate that most people are more confident in their political platforms than they are in their biblical truths. Amen. Number three. We are to give in response to Christ's gift. We see this in uh, chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And then again in chapter 9, verse 19, he says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Christians who are yielding to God's will, seeking to know the Word of God, and who are filled with the Holy Spirit are being changed day by day to follow Christ's example. We are being transformed into the image of our Savior. Jesus said in Matthew 10, freely you have received, now freely give. And he uses the same standard in terms of, of forgiveness and mercy. In Luke 7, Jesus teaches that those who have been forgiven much are those who love much. Your giving must be joyful and done in response to Christ's enormous gift of life to you. We give because He gives. We love because He first loved. Number four, we must give out of a sincere desire to give. In chapter 8, verse 8, Paul says this is to prove the earnestness of your love. And then in verse 10, he said this benefits you. Not only that you started this work, but that you also desire to do it. This is a, a sincere, earnest endeavor from your part. In verse 12, he talks about the mind being willing. And again, uh, this is about the desire of the heart, the desire to give. In chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Everyone should give as he purposes in his heart. A believer who is in God's will should naturally have an earnest desire to give for the kingdom of God. Under the law, a sincere desire was what drove the free will offerings. And God always preferred the free will offerings. But a sincere desire did not matter concerning the tithes. God commanded the tithe and God expected the tithe. 
Whether or not it was given out of a sincere desire or out of a joy from your heart at all. It was a strict obedience to law keeping. And by definition, the tithe was not an overflow of joy or gratitude. It was an obligation. Have I lost you? Are you still with me? Okay. Number five. Give not because of a commandment. God desires your free will giving. Chapter 9, verse 7, we see that everyone must give as he has decided, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This needs to be something that you want to do, not something that you have to do. God isn't interested in you serving him out of duty. He wants your love. He wants your affection. He wants your joy in him to abound in good works. I think John Piper tells this amazing story about its anniversary day. No, just a normal day. Just a normal day. And he goes and he buys a dozen roses for his wife. And he comes to the door and, he, and, and she opens the door and he's got the roses and he gives them to her and she says, oh, that's wonderful, thank you. And he says, well, I kind of had to. You're, you're my wife. It was my duty. Or he says, no, I was just thinking about you. I just wanted to get you something nice because I love you. Which one's better? Which one glorifies and honors the wife more? That's what God desires from us, not our duty, but our affection. The law imposes giving as a divine requirement. Christian generosity is voluntary. It is a, a test of sincerity and love. Under new covenant giving, the Christian obeys God because he has a, a new nature. He has a new creation. And the Holy Spirit is his teacher. The commandment to give is now replaced by a sincere desire to give. We give not because of a commandment, but because of a, of a desire. There are two very different approaches. One is burdensome. The other is freedom and liberty. Number six... We must give as much as we are able and even beyond our ability. Now this one was where some people might get caught up. Look at verse 11 and 12 in chapter 8. Paul cautions everyone to give as he is able, not imposing some sort of numerical or percentage-based standard. In verse 11, he says, So now finish doing it well. Doing what well? The, the work of grace that he spoke about earlier, about collecting a, a gift. Finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He said, I want you to complete this desire of yours, this righteous, holy, grace-driven, joy-fueled desire of yours out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. Verse 12, for if the readiness, that means the desire, the willingness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. So I'm going to echo what the Apostle Paul says here, and I'm going to say that if you don't have it, generally speaking, the Christian should not be giving it. Now that's not being a very good steward. I do not mean to say, however, that you shouldn't give. I said that generally you should not give more than what you are able to give. But there is a disclaimer to that. 
I want you to know there is another side of it. God will move on you in matters of giving if you are seeking his will, if you have given yourself to him, if you are looking to the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and you're looking to his word for instruction, God will move on you with a willing desire to be generous. He will move on you from time to time to give beyond your means. And you have to decide this for yourself. You have to seek the word and seek the Lord for this for yourself. There's, just, there's something miraculous that happens when the abundant grace of God is met with the mustard seed kinds of faith. Jesus, or just a few verses earlier, Paul, he's praising God for the grace that is given to the Macedonians and their faith in response to it. This is in verse 3 of chapter 8. He says, For they gave according to their means, according to them, they gave what they had, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And he's praising them for not only just giving out of what they had, but going beyond what they had and giving what was not, not normally, accept, not normally uh, expected. This is the miraculous thing that happens when we willingly follow Christ into sacrificial giving. I will say that probably, I'm just going to go on a limb here and say that probably most of us don't really give sacrificially. And, and in many ways, I, I really want to blame the teaching of the tithe for that. Because 10% for a very large portion of America isn't sacrificial at all. Ah, They don't even notice that it's gone. But there are others for whom 10% is very significant. It's a heavy burden. Paul says, give what you're able. And when the Lord moves you, give beyond that. The problem here is that so many of us, we've adopted, adapted ourselves to such a high standard of living that we confuse comforts with critical needs. And after the, the, the simple fact is that there are a lot of things that, that we call critical needs that could actually, we could actually do without. And then we could do a lot more help for the body of Christ and for those who are in actual need. Number seven. Oh, this is a fun one too. Give so that there might be an equality. 2 Corinthians 8 13 through 15, Paul says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness or equality. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Whoever gathered much has nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. And why is that? Because they gave to even things out. Those who had little received. Those who had much gave. Some are simply not giving because they're not able. They're not able to give much at all. Even a tenth. Their offering isn't much because they have little. But there are others who give much more than the Old Testament tithe. They're able to give much more than the Old Testament tithe of the tenth. Circumstances are different from house to house, and God knows this. He knows this. That's why he created the church community. The grace principle of giving, giving so that there might be an equality, refers to giving as much as one is able. It does not mean that, I just know I'm going to get tuned out by people. This does not mean that everybody must give the same percentage. It means that those who are prosperous should give more. 
until they actually notice a bit of a pinch in their checkbook. You, you know the old saying, give until it hurts? You heard that? Would you believe it if I told you that statistics prove that the vast majority of charitable giving is done by the poor? The rich love their money. Remember when I say rich, go back a couple of sermons ago. That includes most everybody hearing my voice. Remember earlier this morning when I said that the tithe kills Christian generosity? I think that one of the reasons is because the concept of the tenth, the ten percent. Christians who have more ought to be giving more, but instead they give their ten percent and they call it done. And because their 10% isn't an insignificant amount of money, they're less inclined to help others outside of their tithe or to give generously in other offerings outside the tithe. Now, I, I will confess to you, I have been here myself with a tithe mentality. We get paid monthly. So, most of our giving is to the church is done when we get paid and I will confess to you also that it is not an insignificant sum of money. 10% of two full-time salaries for a whole month is not a small amount of cash. Amen. Amen. And so I have been in the very real situation of being faced with a need outside the church or even a special offering here and, and thinking to myself, well, I've, I've already done my part. I've given significantly already. So I'll either not give in this circumstance or I'll just give a little. All of that is because the tithe, the tenth, has created a false ceiling in my heart for giving. Amen. I've done my part, right? But under the new covenant Christian generosity, when those are pros who are prosperous, when those who, who have more give more, and those who are poor, they give less, but they still give as they can, they give as much as they can, this results in an equality according to what is given, what is each person is able to give. So you, you don't have people living the high life, and others in the church are struggling to find their next meal. Now this one probably doesn't sit too well with some of you, and I'm sorry for that, but that's the scripture. My goal here is to get you to think about these things. I want you to think about it. And I want you to hopefully spur you on to good and better works by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation as we said. I'm, I'm still working on this stuff too. I am. How much is too much? How little is too little? What, if I, what do I keep for myself, Lord? And, and when does that become selfish? When you have blessed me, how much of that is, is for me and how much of that do I need to, to freely give away? Act like I never received it, but give glory to you for being able to give it. How much? I struggle with this. These are, but these are questions that we all must be asking. At least if you're asking the question, the Lord can speak to you. There is no commandment after the cross concerning how much to give. Okay? Paul clearly indicates in these verses that God has no desire to cause some to be hard-pressed or burdened because of any guilt about how much they must give. Consider one of the previous principles. We must give freely out of a sincere desire. Number eight, we must give joyfully. 
In verse 2 of chapter 8, Paul says, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Their abundance of joy. Paul shows us that the secret of the Macedonian church's generosity, their abundant generosity in giving, was found in three things. One, a great trial of affliction. They were being persecuted. Two, an abundance of joy. And three, deep poverty. (laughs) In Christ... They had abundant joy which could not be erased. This is the true treasure. It could not be erased or stolen through any amount of persecution. It could not be erased or stolen through any amount of poverty. They had an abundance of joy, true joy, solid joy, a firm foundation of joy. This great joy in the gospel moved them to give over and above what would be expected of a mere man. In chapter 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says that he wants us to be, God wants us to give cheerfully. He loves someone who gives with joy. Happy, joyful Christians are also giving Christians. When the gospel is preached, the forgiveness of sins is realized, and the assurance of salvation is known, God's peace and joy transform lives, and it makes us cheerful givers. And finally, number nine, we must give so that the gospel is preached. This is probably the most important one. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 13. Paul says, by their approval of this service, what service? The, the giving. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Church, this this completes this circle of grace. The Macedonians heard the gospel of grace. They received that grace by faith. They were moved in that grace to give joyfully and sacrificially to others. Others received that miraculous generosity, that work of grace, and because of it, they glorify God. They receive that grace by faith, and guess what? The cycle starts all over again. Give so that the gospel may be preached, so that others may see your good works and glorify God. So where does the tithe fit into all of this? I'm about done. You can stop squirming. Practically, we, and when I say we, I mean myself and my wife, we use the tithe as, as training wheels. I don't see it as a commandment that you must give a certain amount to be blessed. Or that if you don't give a certain amount, then you are cursed. What I do see is that we are called to to a much higher level of generosity that can't be measured by a fixed amount. It's a heart thing. We must give as we are able. And quit trying to lie to ourselves and to God about how much we are able or not able to give. If giving is foreign to you, if you've never practiced Christian generosity, a good place to start is the tithe. It's training wheels. See how things go for you. If you can take the first 10% and give that to the Lord, if if you're in a good situation where 10% is not an an oppressive burden for you, then do that. I think you'd be amazed. Many of the promises that apply to the tithe, you know, Uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and uh, prove me now herewith if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing. Given it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, 
Many of those promises apply to Christian generosity. It's a, it's a biblical principle that God taught us the training wheels of the tithe that we take and we apply to this much grander view of giving. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. Does that mean that you're going to be blessed with wealth? Is every tither going to get wealthy? How can you look at the past thousand years of history and say that, yes, that's what happens? You can't. You can't. That's not what that means. But I, I promise you, and I believe the scriptures promise you, that if you will act in faith, if you'll start somewhere, if you just give something, you'd be amazed at how, how ends start to meet, how those strings start to come together. Amen. If giving is, is if a 10% uh, a tithe or a 10% gift, if that, if that training wheel is too, too much for you, let's say you're, you're barely making minimum wage, and, and gosh, 30 bucks out of a $300 paycheck is a lot of money. If, that's, if it's too much for you, then, then start somewhere. Paul said, give what you're able. Give something. Not so much that it's oppressive, not so much that you can't pay your, your bills. Give what you can give, enough that you, you'll miss it, but not so much that you can't make ends meet. If that's 2%, great. If it's 5%, great. Start there and see. And the second thing I'll tell you, if giving is foreign to you, or if you find yourself just thinking, I, I can't give because I don't have enough, I would say, look at your budget and where your money actually goes. It was many years before my wife and I actually began to inventory where our money actually went. I mean, we, we kept a budget, we put things in categories, but we didn't actually keep track of where all of our dollars went. You know, all of our, our bills were paid, and then we had this bank of money that was our spendable cash, our stuff that we could get through the month on after the, the bills were paid. And we just had no idea where all that was going. Just no idea. And when we finally started to sit down and look at it from a budgeting perspective and track where do these dollars go, it was a very eye-opening experience. Man, if we would adjust some priorities in some places, we could, there's so much more we could do. Goodness gracious, do we need to eat out 17 times a week? Amen. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, it was just money, just, whew, just lighting a fire to it. And we, didn't, we had no clue. So we weren't being good stewards, we weren't tracking, we weren't, we weren't counting the cost of the things that we were doing. And when we started doing that man eye-opening experience, well, there's a lot more we can do. If we're just wise with our money, if we're just better stewards. I think, and I imagine, I'm not alone in this, that most of us in this country, at least, most of us in, in America at least, I can't speak for other nations because their economic situation is different, but at least in America, for the most part, People find excuses for not giving, and those excuses come from simple poor money management. They're just not keeping track of where they spend and what they spend it on. If they just readjust some priorities, they, they could be good Christian generous givers. And, and, and I'm just saying the whole body of Christ benefits from that. So that's, that's Christian generosity. That's my take on tithes. And I hope you come back next week. <laughs> Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, and uh, I pray that we are spurred on to good and better works because of it. You are good and glorious, and we are humbled under it. Keep us safe as we go our separate ways, Lord, and bring us back at the appointed time, always joyful in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.